All right, just about towards the end of Philippians chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 22 through 26. Paul says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. The Christian life is centered on the filling and the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. Zechariah 4, 6, the second half says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So that's the bottom line. However, our acceptance of the Holy Spirit's power and the directives that he gives us in our lives, that's up to us. Whether it's the parable of the virgins trimming their wicks or the parable of the talents or the two sons commissioned to work in their father's vineyard, even the example of John Mark in the book of Acts, we find that your decisions are up to you. Your participation in God's will is up to you. Your reception of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in your life is up to you. It's up to me. God does not force us into submission, does not force us into labor, he doesn't force us into reward either. And this is why we're reminded so often in God's word that we must purpose in our hearts to stay the course and to compete, to run the race, to trim our wicks, to keep oil in our lamps, because naturally we are not going to finish well. Naturally, in our human hearts, we are not going to stay stirred up for the Lord, but we're going to settle down. This is why Paul exhorted the Philippians to think about their spiritual lives day by day. He challenged them to live life with a mindset of a runner competing for a prize. His desire was to awaken the understanding that spiritual power and spiritual purpose and spiritual fruit was available and ready to be enjoyed by every single Christian who had the Holy Spirit indwelling their hearts. Now here in the West, specifically in America... We have not been forced underground as believers. We're not facing martyrdom or severe persecution. I'm glad for that. But because of the physical blessings we've received, we're prone to settle and to stagnate. We're prone to indifference in our walk with the Lord. That's just the deal. That's what happened to the Israelites. It happened throughout history. It happens to us. And we need to own up to um, that fact and, and that situation that we find ourselves in. One way to stay motivated in our Christianity is found here in our text. It's reflection and then alteration. Paul demonstrates it to us as he works through the situation he found himself in, and we'll find that it is in keeping with the analogy that he often used of believers being like athletes in competition. And so he begins this section and says in verse 22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Personal reflection, personal examination is absolutely essential in our lives. When we fail to examine ourselves, then we are going to miss areas of weakness where we're vulnerable to temptation. We're going to miss areas of hardness where we're turning into Uh, uh, unforgiving people, discompassionate people. We'll miss areas of pride and legalism and self-righteousness. And so we have to examine ourselves so that we can find these things that are cropping up in our heart. The scriptures give us some wonderful examples of men who were habitual self-examiners. David in the Psalms, Nehemiah after the fall of Jerusalem, 
Paul throughout his writings. These were men who understood how important it is to pause and to look within and take an honest look within so that they could hear what the Spirit had to say to them about their lives. Paul was doing some thinking out loud here in these uh, few verses. Uh, He was thinking out loud about his walk with the Lord and his desires in his uh, at the close of his ministry. Uh, This isn't an unusual exercise, you know. I mean, we may not be each of us may not be super contemplative or spend a lot of time, you know, critically thinking or reflecting on whatever. But think about athletes. You know, they film their performances and they even sometimes film their practices either as a team or as individuals, and then they go back and they study what they recorded. They study their form, they study their movements, they study their mentality, they study the opponents, they pour over even just a few seconds of film over and over again and again and again. Why do they do that? They do it so that they can improve upon what is currently their personal best in hopes that they will better themselves in the upcoming competition. Paul shows us how to take this mentality of self-examination and to apply it to our Christian life. So first we need to stop and evaluate our desires. Paul says openly that he was hard-pressed between two very real desires, to either stay and minister to the church or to enter into eternity and be forever with the Lord. We need to spend time reflecting on heaven. Uh, That's something that we should spend a few moments every day doing. Our eternity with Jesus Christ. We can't forget about it. We need to think about the fact that we are just moments away from exiting this life and entering into something far better. Uh, There's a movement, especially in um, what is known as the emerging church, to just kind of think, you know, a lot of people have decided that in that movement that heaven may or may not be a real place and really we should just be trying to bring the kingdom of God here on this earth and not thinking about the afterlife and to spend time thinking about heaven which may or may not be allegorical is not uh, a good thing to do but we need to not forget about what is coming and that we are moments away from something far better from this life and as we think about that and as we see it in the scriptures we discover that we are able to store up treasures for ourselves there Uh, that will await us. We're able to do things here on earth that warrant reward there in heaven. We're able to influence others so that they too could be given access to this place, given access to everlasting life. And so a daily reflection on heaven will alter our thinking about this life and it will help us iron out our priorities and it will focus us on accomplishing something heavenly this side of eternity. An athlete trains so that they might achieve. Of course, there's a love for the game, that's necessary, that's obvious. But really, every athlete out there, every professional athlete is focused on that championship. They're focused on that ring, that pennant, that medal, that number that they want. And they want to lay hold of it. The Christian life is not meant to be aimless. We should have a healthy morbidity where we look forward to our departure from this fallen world and our entrance into the presence of God. Do we have a desire for heaven? Do we have a desire to accomplish heavenly things here on the earth? We should reflect on that today and we should spend a few moments every day thinking about what awaits us in eternity. But then Paul also reflected on his desire to minister to the people around him. In this way, we can think of Paul as a team player. That's a term we understand. He understood that he could, of course, help people become Christians, become children of God, escape eternity in hell. But he also understood that he could assist other believers in their lives and in their fruitfulness. That's why he says this in verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. 
Staying in the will of God means serving and edifying others. Spiritual isolation is outside of the will of God. Selfishness is outside of the will of God. And so if I want to stay in the will of God, I have to regularly evaluate if I even have a desire to serve others. If I have no desire to serve other people and those around me and edify the believers that I'm you know, uh, uh, relate, in a relationship with, then something's wrong. I'm probably not in the will of God. Again, it's about reflection and alteration. As I think about the fact that my life is a vapor and heaven is waiting for me, maybe just a few hours or a few days from now, then my mindset should be powerfully altered. Thinking, okay, I'm moments away from eternal rest, I'm moments away from eternal bliss, so what does this other person need today? What, what does this other person need right now? How can I help them? How can I love them? How can I be Jesus to them? Is there a desire for heaven in my day-to-day life? Is there a desire for others? If not, why not? That's what reflection and alteration is all about. Now, to desire is one thing, but activity is another thing altogether. Paul, of course, was an active disciple. And evaluating our activity, what we're actually doing in our lives, is also essential so that we're not saying one thing and living another. So that we're not succumbing to hypocrisy in our lives, which is a danger for every Christian throughout time. Verse 25, Paul says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Continuation, progress. Are we moving forward in our relationship with God? Are we deepening our intimacy with Him? Are we stepping out, stepping forward in new service and new ministry and new ventures of faith on any level? Are we overcoming sin in our life? Can we look around at our lives and look around at our friends and our circle that the Lord has placed us in and say, not in pride, but in observation, hey, I've built up my brothers and sisters and here's how I've done it. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. You don't have to be a stadium evangelist. You don't have to establish a, a Christian school or a seminary or you know, a, a rescue mission. You don't have to do that all on your own. But could you look around and observe your activity and say, this is how I've built someone up today. This is how I've encouraged someone today. This is how I've stepped forward in my relationship with God today. Using the athletic analogy again, are we improving our personal best? Paul was dedicated to reflection and alteration because he knew that instinctually, naturally, we are carnal. That's the deal. We studied that as when we looked at you know, those three chapters in Romans, Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8. We are carnal at our core, and carnality is enmity with God. Naturally, we are not going to build up others. We're going to hoard for ourselves. Naturally, we're not going to draw nearer to God. We're going to pull away from Him. Naturally, we're going to settle and stagnate and harden. It's like an athlete who doesn't train. Naturally, your muscles don't get stronger. They get weaker. You have to do something about it. Naturally, we don't get thinner, we get heavier, and we have to do something about that. And so Paul taught throughout his letters how important it is to pause and evaluate our lives so that the Spirit can train us so that we become more effective in this life. Naturally, we will fall back into sinfulness. So we have to train ourselves by the Word and by the Spirit so that when the time of temptation comes or the time of opportunity or testing or service comes, we will fall back on the supernatural training we've received, not on the natural sinful heart that we have. Does that make sense? Uh, So that we'll fall back on a heavenly desire, not a worldly desire. So that we'll fall back on a heavenly reaction, not a natural reaction. So that our lives are about progress and not regress. 
so that our entrance into eternity will be a moment of triumph and accomplishment and reward, not disappointment or early retirement. It's a very scary thing to understand that in, as we look in the Bible as sometimes God retires his people early and uh, that's not a great way to enter into eternity. Frankly speaking, I want to live this life so that I would receive a winner's trophy at the end of the race, not the purple participant ribbon. And um, that's, that's kind of how I looked at it today, or this week. Paul took time to evaluate his situation. He evaluated his desires, his activities, and thought about them in light of heaven. He was able to focus his efforts on spiritually bettering himself and his relationship with the Lord, but also helping the people around him and building them up. I, as an individual, am terribly unathletic. I was never much of a sports guy. However, in college, I discovered that I really enjoyed swimming. I really love swimming. I also discovered that my general lankiness uh, contributes to being a, an okay swimmer. The lankier, the better in swimming, generally. Uh, so for a year, I was at, in Fresno Pacific Swim Club, my, my last year there. It was just me and one other guy at the time. Right now, they have... <laughs> Now they have this like nationally rated swim team, but uh, you know, luckily they had just one other guy, and I was able to, you know, jump in off that. But one of the things I like about swimming is that it's all about personal best. That's what swimming is about. As opposed to foot races or team sports, you don't see your opponent if you race them. You you don't. You just see water and you see the bottom of the pool. Instead, it's all about pushing past your own personal best. That's what you're racing. You're racing your previous time. You're racing yourself. You're trying to better that time. And to that end, of course, swimmers are willing to fiercely prepare themselves, even down to the unusual practice of shaving their entire body. Why do, why do you know, Olympic swimmers do that? So that they can eliminate even the smallest amount of drag that would slow them down in the water. They, you know, people like us might think, that's a little bit overboard, but these guys are thinking, no, I have to achieve, I have to get faster than my personal best, and I will cut away anything that slows me down, even a hundredth or a thousandth of a second. I remember watching some film of my swimming form. We, we filmed uh, on one particular morning, and we're watching the form of our freestyle, and I was able to see those areas where I needed more control in my stroke. Uh, there were things that I couldn't feel while I was in the water, but I could see when I examined them later on tape. As Christians, if we want progress, if we want fruitfulness, we must pause to reflect and alter those areas which would slow us down or distract us or alter our course. Because we are surrounded by distraction, we're surrounded by stumbling blocks, and we have naturally in our carnal hearts things that want to drag us down and separate us from the Lord. Naturally, we're not going to better ourselves. We're going to worsen ourselves. Supernaturally, we're going to better ourselves. And that's why we have to fall back on the Spirit and discover what He has to say about our life right now, our situation right now, the state of our hearts right now. As we examine, our faithful trainer, the Holy Spirit, is going to direct us on how we can improve and push past our personal best in our spiritual lives. This is what Paul did, and it's what we can do today. Take some time today and think about heaven and think about pushing past your personal best in your spiritual life.